0: if we limit ourselves to being that one thing or that one idea, our food's not as interesting, our places aren't as interesting, you know, that we, we are all, I think, enriched by that diversity, and most particularly through food.
1: Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. Welcome back to Appalachia Meets World. It's Will and Neil. What's happening? Hey, what is uh, happening? What, what? Shoot, what's not happening? Things are rolling. Schools back in session. Kids are running. Sports are going. I'm just trying to keep my head on on straight, man. Delta variant is happening. The variant is rampant. <laughs> uh, it's all good, you know. Mm. Appalachia is strong, brother. Appalachia strong. That's right. (laughs) I'm excited about our episode tonight because there is nothing that makes my heart warm like food. Yeah. The special we are starting, for the listeners that don't know, the food series. So we're going to have a couple of series of episodes on Appalachian cuisine and food ways. Man. Mm -mm -mm. I've been waiting on this. Speaking of, let me go ahead and ask you off the top of your head. What's your favorite food? Oh, my God. You have a favorite food? And is it Appalachian? (laughs) Um, So hard for me to narrow it down. Uh, Anybody that knows me knows that I like to eat. So I would pretty much eat chicken at every meal. What kind of chicken? Just- I get you know. I guess that's a that's that's where I was going because I I vary on day I'm from Mister Bojangles on what kind of uh, <laughs> chicken, chicken that I would have. <laughs> uh, so, I uh, I mean I like it. I like it fried. I like it grilled. I like it. Lemon Look, peppered. I like it. Well, let me ask you this. What would be your last meal? Man, I don't want to think about my last supper. <laughs> <laughs> what? Come on, dude. I'm not I'm not sitting at the table. You're not dying dogs. tomorrow, but. I mean, come on, bro. <laughs> what would be your last meal? That's tonight? not a morbid question. Come on. Oh, you sicko, man. <laughs> sitting down to some fried chicken. Would fried chicken be your last meal? Gosh, man, the taste of a good fried breast is just so delightful. All right, what's your favorite side? Uh, um, Fried corn. Fried I, corn is your favorite? It's my favorite side. It really? has to be done the right way, and only very few people can do it. But mom's fried corn, it, I could literally sit down and eat a bowl of it. and and you know what else i could sit down eat a bowl of which is weird and and you have this same trait so you can't deny it you and i are the two guys i know that when we sit down to a meal especially at mom's house i start with a salad and i finish with a salad (laughs) because mom makes the best salad i don't know but you know you know why i love salad it's because, because of the cheese and the dressing yeah. and the croutons. <laughs> yeah, the croutons have, are a must. You got to have croutons. If you don't like a salad with croutons, you're weird. <laughs> so every salad has to have croutons. But what I've moved past with the croutons, and now I just mix the croutons in with the little almond chips that mom does. Yeah, I, I I don't like almonds, so I don't do that. But I know what you're talking about. Are they almonds or are they pecan? What are they? Are she does almonds. almonds? It's they're almonds. And yeah. they're glazed with the bunch of sugar, basically. <laughs> and, <they're> baked, <laughs> and you put them on top of your salad and they're amazing. So sometimes, actually, every time she fixes them, she fixes a separate bag that I just eat. <laughs> good. So So can you personally, can you make fried corn? Rachel can. Rachel does a really good job of making fried corn. Rachel, your wife, for the listeners that don't know, yes, she has she has adopted mom's recipe, and does a pretty good job. Mm. And I tell you what else Rachel is really good at is gravy, and that's sausage gravy. Sausage gravy? No, no, I can't tell you how she makes it, but it it's gravy and it's good, and our boys love it. Well, yeah. I'll tell you. So my wife, as the listeners know, is from Cleveland. And I will say that I introduced her to grits. She mm. had never had grits before. Yep. I know at, at several holiday meals w- that I've had with her family, they've made special, not special grits, but they've made grits just special for me because they know that, that well, I'm going to be there. And she introduced me nice to, grits. what's that? not just grits cheesy grits grits. yeah and she introduced me to pierogies have you ever had a pierogi no idea what that is oh it's a polish dish it's like a dumpling but it's filled with either potatoes or cheese you can fill it with whatever okay but it they're really good i'd never had a pierogi she had never had grits and we kind of showed each other the way the light pierogi grits (laughs) pierogi grits man. (laughs) I never thought about that. I bet it's awesome. <laughs> I, so here's I, a question. Yep. Is grits, is that Appalachian or is grits? that southern? There, there, there are three things that in Appalachia food corn, squash, and beans. They're considered the three sisters in Appalachia. It's kind of like the building blocks of all Appalachian food corn, squash, and beans. So grits have to be Appalachian, right? I know it's Southern. Listen, listen. But, but, I, don't, I don't but corn, don't think, that's what grits are made out of. I don't think either one of us are qualified to answer this question. But <laughs> yeah, I am definitely who, not. I know who is. Melissa Hall. Melissa Hall. And that's why she is on the episode tonight because we are going to get down and find out just exactly what Appalachia versus Southern foods mean. And I can't wait. I can't either. How about we just go ahead and get to it? Dollar up. We have on the episode tonight, Melissa Booth Hall, who is the managing director of the Southern Foodways Alliance, or, or what we'll probably refer to as F- SFA as we go through this episode. She is a graduate of Center College and Chase Law School and currently resides in Oxford, Mississippi and has for the past 20 years. However, she is a proud Appalachian expat, I guess you could call it, uh, from Millersburg or Bell County, Kentucky. So, Melissa, we wanted to welcome you to the show and say thank you for being a part of this episode.
0: Thanks for asking me.
1: Well, one thing we wanted to kick it off with is something that we ask all our guests, and that is... I predict this will be the best answer yet, by the way. <laughs> and it's perfect for this episode. Perfect, perfect. This is kind of the kickoff to our food, Appalachian food series. where ha- we have, We'll have we have several episodes on food and food ways, but you are the uh, inaugural episode. Um, Thank you. But that question is, as Appalachians, big on history, big on tradition. Nil and I's family, we're big on tradition too. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. I mean, we have a huge spread of appetizers, usually more appetizers than the actual meal. But we wanted to ask you to kick it off. Do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? I guess.
0: So, yes. Um, but I'm actually gonna, in keeping with the theme, I'm I'm gonna do a throwback. Nice. So my mother's mother, uh, my Mama layman, was uh, I think. Well, no, I know. She was the only one of her siblings to graduate from high school, and she was always very proud of that. And she, we think, maybe junior or senior year in high school, she had a hard hitting fantastic home ec teacher whose focus was like on apparently like being a lady and one of the things that we think she picked up from this home ec class was she loved a relish tray. Back in the day you could actually like buy this plate so it's like a, a, a round uh, glass plate that kind of has some like dividers in it and that's because you're going to put your like your little pickles in one spot and this that and the other. But her, like you knew it was Thanksgiving or Christmas because you got celery with that cheese from a jar. <laughs> yeah, you know those little yeah. bitty jars. And in fact, you can't find that cheese here. I they still sometimes have it like at the food city when I'm when I'm at home. But yes, so those. That celery with that cheese from a jar was like, hey, it's Christmas. The other thing she did every year um, for the holidays, which none of us have, like we can all follow a recipe, we could do this, um, but she made boiled custard for Christmas every year, and that's the I don't I don't know if y'all have had it, but that's the. Um, <laughs> It's kind of like melted soft serve, only like it, it, it was never soft serve. It's, it is, it's this long, long process of standing over like a barely warm stove, stirring things. It's thick, creamy. It's probably, you know, like she would serve it in these little tiny, like punch cups. It was like a shot just- it's, like a it's not a shot it's like but it you know i i would conservatively estimate estimate that like a half cup of that probably has like 800 calories <laughs> i mean
1: that is fantastic
0: it's it so it good, good. none of us ever make it
1: so why do you don't why don't you make it just because it's you so don't no, yeah nobody it?
0: makes it because nobody like i mean As that post- was like a it's a day-long project yeah
1: yeah okay uh,
0: and, and one where, like, you can't really step away from the stove unless you want to end up with, like, a pot of highly sweetened scrambled eggs. I mean, those are the, those are the two things. My other grandmother, my granny Booth, um, my dad's mother, her big Thanksgiving thing was um, oyster dressing, which I always found fascinating because, as y'all know, we're landlocked. <laughs> like I mean, like I don't, and I never really understood when she started making it or how she got that idea. And she would do it with like the canned oysters, obviously, but oyster dressing and and boiled custard. Those are my like, those are my holiday nostalgia. No,
1: those are, that's a fantastic a- answer, and and I would <laughs> expect nothing less from from the first food expert that we've had on on the on the show.
0: But it's I'm not gonna lie. I still like whenever I see celery, I always think like this would be so much better with a little bit of that <laughs> yeah. from a jar in it. Yeah. So.
1: Now that we kind of have that question out of the way, <laughs> I guess we can ask you, you know, for the for the listeners that don't know what exactly is the Southern Foodways Alliance and, and kind of what do you do there?
0: Okay, we are a cultural nonprofit based at the University of Mississippi. We are an institute of the Center for the Study of Southern Culture. There are, um, the, the center at the University of Mississippi was the first of its kind. A place where um, you come to understand the South through one of its lenses. So you might use music as a way to understand the South. You might use um, you might use the literature of the region. Um, you certainly could use history. Um, you might use art and the Southern Foodways Alliance. Um, our founder John T. Edge was actually a student in at the. Center for the Study of Southern Culture, in the 90s, and his question was, why not food? As we offer these lenses for how to understand this region, food ought to be one, one of the, the tools we use. So the SFA um, began at the center. That's, that, that is our home, and what we do is we document, study, and explore the diverse food ways of the changing American South. You know, if you if you broke down that lovely mission statement, um, what you would what you would want to know about us are is our documentary work is we make films about uh, people across the south who grow, make and serve great southern food. And the other part of our documentary work is our oral history work. We now have, I think, probably coming up on just over a thousand oral histories of that same group of people. And it is everything from catfish folks on the Mississippi Delta to um, people in Eastern, eastern Kentucky who are still making and serving chili dogs, um, to bartenders in New Orleans, to um, fishermen in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Um, in fact, the, the project that our oral historian is working on right now is a project called Southern Sugars, where she's talking to um, sorghum growers across the region. So it's really any, anything you can think of that has to do with Southern food, um, chances are the SFA has tried to capture somebody's story, somebody's experience with that food, and the ones we haven't gotten to, we're, you know they're they are firmly in our sights. That they, they are our next goal.
1: Yeah, y'all um, have an you all have an excellent website for for those yeah. that haven't gone to it. Go to it, check it out. It, it's yeah. it's definitely great. It's easy. And
0: it, yeah, and it's all free, and yeah. it's all um, you know. We we. We started this way. We started with an eye toward all of the stories we collect, all of the voices we amplify are of this region, belong to this region, and should be shared as widely as possible. So that documentary part's a big part of what we do. We also have a quarterly journal, Gravy. We have a podcast called Gravy, where we use narrative nonfiction to tell stories about the South. And then you know we you know, we have two graduate students every year. We and we have a professor at the center now who's uh, a foodways professor. So that's what we do.
1: You mentioned John T. Edge. Anybody that watches the SEC Network has seen his documentaries on there. They're excellent. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. So there, I think another season is uh, about to ramp up. So
1: great. Um, uh, and you spoke of you know, the Southern foodways and and food of the region. And that's where I kind of wanted to ask you a question about, uh, you know, this podcast is about Appalachia, but it's also comparing Appalachia to other regions, other cultures. And, And the more that we do that, the more similarities that we see with Appalachia and places outside of Appalachia. But that being said, you know, you can be Appalachian and also be southern, but you don't all southern all Southerners aren't necessarily Appalachian. So I wanted to ask you, how do you separate Appalachia food from Southern food? Um especially I, I know that one of your symposiums uh in the past has been dedicated to strictly Appalachian cuisine. So how do you separate the two?
0: So here's the thing and and I think and and don't Google or Wikipedia me on this, but <laughs> Essentially, you know, the notion I would offer you is this, the American South is bigger than by a little bit, but, you know, comparable in land size to Western Europe. You would never, ever, ever say that you had had European food. You would say you had French food. You would say you had Italian food. You would say you ate in a pub in England. You know, you would say you had haggis in Scotland. But you would never like try to wrap your arms around and say, this is European cuisine. And what, what I would say about the American South is I think that we would probably help ourselves if we could, if we could figure out a way to start talking about our cuisine in that way. Because the, the reality is, you know, there absolutely is, there absolutely are Appalachian foodways and purveyors of that and people who understand that cuisine in the same way that there are people who understand low country food, Um, in the same way that there are people who um, understand the difference, you know, the difference between uh, Western North Carolina and Eastern North Carolina barbecue. You know, this region has a rich culinary tradition just as rich as anywhere in the world. And part of that richness is, you know, we got all kinds of uh subregions and uh and and parts parts of this place know a thing where other parts of this place don't. And that's Uh, to me, like fantastic evidence of what a rich and vibrant cuisine we have in the South. Oh, so about Appalachia. So, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I, you know, I grew up understanding about things like shuck beans and, uh, and stack cakes. And I'll, I'll stick with those too you know, and there are people, I I sit here in in the state of Mississippi, there are people here who grew up um, understanding uh, caramel cake and field peas in a way that I really didn't until I got here. So I think that, you know, for all of the parts of the South, I think we're always in conversation with each other because we're always moving around, we're moving out, we're coming back. But I also think that, I like to travel and I think it's fun to go somewhere where you can have a thing that you can't have anywhere else in the world or a thing that, because you're there, because you're in that place, it's the best version of itself. And you know, and again, I think that's what will keep us an interesting region. If we're all like Wendy's at the exit of on (laughs) I-75, I don't hold out much hope for us in that scenario.
1: And and to that point, you know, like you're saying, Appalachia is so diverse. You know, it was built by these indigenous groups of Cherokees, by Scotch-Irish, by German immigrants, by enslaved and free Black Americans. Like like you mentioned, we have Italians in West Virginia, the the Hungarians in Virginia, Albanians in East Tennessee. We have all you know this rich, diverse populations and ethnicities throughout. With this diversity, how do we and how should we celebrate it? I know SFA kind of prides itself on that, but, you know, how should we as a region celebrate the diversity?
0: We kind of get asked that question a lot. I think that there's this idea about Southern food that there is, you know, some, I don't know, platonic ideal of, you know, the Southern table. And anytime you step away from that, I don't know, maybe you're putting a foot wrong, but i think the reality is i think that platonic ideal holds us back more so than it pushes us forward and i think that if if we as southerners say southern food is these ingredients and it's de- and it's these dishes i think that you know very quickly we're going to be dealing with a cuisine that belongs in a museum rather than a living vibrant changing cuisine And, you know, what I would say is to you, you know, you, you got a fantastic recitation of just some of the, the influences on Southern food that have come literally from all over the world. And the reality is that's always been our story. You know, this is, we're not talking about like, you know, the, the 2010 census, um, you know, we're talking about the, the 1910 census, right? Right, right. So I think that that we need to, as Southerners, understand not only that we're, and and as Appalachians too, not only that we're not just one thing or one idea, but that if we limit ourselves to being that one thing or that one idea, our food's not as interesting, our places aren't as interesting, you know, that we, we are all... I think, enriched by that diversity and most particularly through food?
1: That's a tremendous answer. One thing I think that we all, even as diverse as we are, as we've identified, one thing that we can connect to in regards to Appalachian food, Appalachian cuisine is kind of how... We as a culture have been shaped by the terrain of the mountains, of the valleys, of the forest. You know, we've kind of developed this culture of, of self-reliance or, or his, you know, we have a history of preserving or canning kind of out of yep. necessity, which is how a lot of our food was was developed or foodways were developed. And so we also have developed this kind of deep, deep connection to uh, the land. I think it's important for whether wherever you're from in Appalachia, we have this deep connection to the land. So we, we've we heard these terms that that are now becoming popularized, organic sustainability or doing farm to table. That's something that Appalachians have been doing forever out of necessity. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the way that we've all, it's always been. And to that point, do you think it's, I don't know, with all these celebrity chefs that are doing it now. Do you think it's disrespectful that are people that are, are claiming it as their own? Or do you think it's a sign of respect for kind of rec- recognizing the wisdom of Appalachia um, over the years, if if, if that makes sense? And I'm pretty sure yeah, my mom invented it. So
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I always find this question really funny because, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but like I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm a lot older than y'all. I'm old enough that, let let me just say, I remember, um, I can tell you like almost to the minute when Middlesbrough, Kentucky got a Burger King. And then when subsequently we finally got a McDonald's. Oh,
1: McDonald's. That that was a family trip to McDonald's in Middlesbrough. Oh
0: Oh my gosh. Right. So, you know, what I find, you know, one of the things that I always kind of, you know, this is like running in my head as people like do farm to table. I'm like, you know, you have no idea how hard we ran from farm to table. Like we were (laughs) so like, you know, in line to get a French fries. So I think that, I, I think it's, I think it's respect. I mean, I think that the sort of the, the bigger impact of the farm to table movement is, I think that people want to and clearly enjoy feeling like they understand where their food comes from, who grew it, who prepared it and, and kind of, you know, why this dish in this moment. And I think that, I mean, this is a, we're talking like baby steps. I mean, but I really do think that that is a baby step into the larger sustainability conversation that the whole world is going to need to have in the next 50 years. I don't know that the way we eat as a country is necessarily sustainable into the next millennium. And I think that having curious and educated eaters ultimately is going to help everybody. So I, you know, it, it doesn't bother me when people are, you know, when a, when a restaurant like, uh, Husk, um, says essentially we are gonna, we're going hyper-local. Um, if it's, if it's not produced in the South, it doesn't come in the doors. I like that. I like that challenge and I like the, um, the exploration of what's possible there. And I think I think that there are people, you know y'all probably know about uh, Bill Best, who's the seed saber, based somewhere, I think outside of Berea. The very first film the SFA ever made was about him. I think that stories like his are actually more common than we realize. And I think that understanding that a way of life where, maybe you're not on a farm, <laughs> maybe you're not like growing everything you eat, but a way of life where you honor that, where, you know, you, you try to grow a $50 tomato from time to time. Like, I think all of that tiny, tiny steps to making us both, uh, appreciate the food we eat and to understanding what we're going to need to do to feed ourselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's some great people doing it. You know, the Sean Brock's, the Travis Milton's, the, yes. the Costello's, the yep. Kristen Smith's. From Oh, from yeah, Corwin. exactly.
0: I was going to say, y'all got somebody close. Yeah, there's oh, some Neil does, people. not you.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, amazing people doing it. And I mean, Neil and I, we grew up with cornbread at every meal. You know, fresh tomatoes and cucumbers, that was just a staple on the table. It was almost like right. salt and pepper. You had right. tomatoes and cucumbers when that McDonald's came in, it was definitely, uh, or Taco Casa in the mall right before you went to a movie. (laughs) Exactly. I I can talk about that with you because you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) To that that point, you mentioned a couple of classics there, Burger King, McDonald's and Taco Casa. (laughs) What's your, what's your favorite? If you had to go get a quick meal, what would be your favorite fast food restaurant?
0: I'm all about the fast casual these days. I gotta tell you. And, um, we're, (laughs) Weird fact about Oxford, Mississippi, both McAllister's and Nukes started here. Um, and so um I'm I'm pretty much a Nukes stan, I got to tell you. <laughs> like, and, and so like, I kind of get happy now because I mean, for what, six years, seven years, like you could only have Nukes here in Oxford. Now you can have it everywhere. But yeah, that's my, that's my favorite. Go-to. Yep. What about
1: restaurants in general? Do you have a favorite restaurant outside of the oh. fast
0: casual? Whoa,
1: that's a that's a tough question, I imagine. Yeah, no, I
0: mean, know. I like, I, I mean, and this is true. Are you allowed to answer that question? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so here in Oxford, there is uh, a restaurant, uh, actually, dude with a Kentucky connection. Restaurant I love here in Oxford called Snack Bar. The chef um, is, uh, is, his name is Vishwesh Bot. He went to the University of Kentucky and he came to Oxford and started working in a restaurant. And he actually, I guess this turned out to be the last time they gave James Beard Award. Vish won for Best Chef, Best Chef South. And what he does, which is fantastic, is he was born in, uh, I think, in Gujarat, India. What he does is take okra and turns it into the most amazing okra chaat you-, you could imagine. He is all about taking the, the ingredients and preparations of his native India and applying them to his adopted Kentucky and Mississippi. And it's hands down, it's my favorite dining experience really anywhere. So, and, and, you know, back to that earlier question, there's only so much fried okra a person can eat. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, having somebody who, you know, comes from a background who, feels as strongly about it as any southerner but with a whole different approach it's so exciting but
1: does he serve bourbon
0: yes he does <laughs> he does
1: <laughs> so do you have a favorite film that you guys have made i know you told us about the first film but as if have you guys put together a film that just really sticks out to you that you would tell our listeners to definitely listen to or, or watch <laughs>
0: I still love that first film. Um, I think probably my favorite, I've got two favorites. One is about Helen Turner, who, um, and the film is called Helen's Barbecue. Helen is actually one of the few women who run owns and runs a barbecue restaurant. She's in Brownsville, Tennessee, which is kind of between Jackson and Memphis. So I love that Helen's film. My other favorite, is a film uh, that we have called CUD, C-U-D, about uh, Will Harris, who is a fifth generation cattle farmer in South Georgia. And there's a follow-up to that film about his daughter, Jenny Harris, who is now running the family business. So those, I would say that those three as kind of a, if I had to pick those three are our big favorites but just because those folks are so compelling so
1: yeah cool i had a a question my my mom very interested and big on hand on recipes as as a lot of appalachians are handing down recipes a lot of times when she hands them down to us they get lightened up a little bit Um, yes maybe a half stick of butter instead of a full stick or something like that but (laughs) you know i know that the Foxfire Book Series, which, mm-hmm. you know, started as, a, I think, as a high school pro- project in Georgia. It, it's, it's played an important role in kind of preserving Appalachian foodways. But mm-hmm. can you speak to a little bit to how important recipes are, especially in Appalachia, and how they've kind of been preserved or handed down over the years?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in uh, there's a lot of church cookbooks. Um, I think yeah. that's probably your... Um, you know, your best indicator of, of kind of what's happening in the moment in Southern food. Although I find church cookbooks are fascinating because often like there'll be like something in the church cookbook that you're like, I know I read that in Southern Living. Like you just took that directly (laughs) from Southern Living. You started making it and now like here it is. Um, But anyway, That aside, so I think church cookbooks have been a good resource. I do think that, I think that publications like Southern Living played a role. That one's trickier because they played a role in sort of the homogenization of of Southern food. uh, But they've also played a role in sharing important recipes. And then, you know, I'm sitting here, this is my grandmother's.
1: Recipe box. Yes.
0: And you know, this is one of the things that like as we were cleaning out the house, I took it. And it's you can see it's full of like newspapers and handwritten things. And I will say, and this is uh you know, this is being felt, I think, in every small town in the South, um, the importance of a a food page in a newspaper. I think cannot be like understated and, you know, and especially for, for kind of the more remote areas of Kentucky. I think those, I think daily newspapers had a huge role in sharing recipes. There are a couple of cookbook books. Um, Joe Dabney, who actually just died a couple of years ago, wrote a James Beard award-winning cookbook about Appalachian foodways um and it's called something like spoon bread country ham and something something I'm not I'm I I should have it memorized because yeah that's the one that book as an aspiring cook before I ever came to the Southern Foodways Alliance to work that book was really the book that made it clear to me that I had a food culture and that I had come from a valuable food, from a food culture that was valued by others. Um, so I think then I, I, still think that's a really important book. And then uh, Ronnie Lundy's most recent book, uh, Vittles is, is also a, a fantastic exploration. I, I will also say the folks at um, the folks at Blackberry Farm, who are doing a lot of work with seed saving and, and uh, Appalachian like foodways promotion, their books are really good in terms of thinking about every Southerner worth her salt can make it through the summer on like roasting ears and tomatoes and cucumbers. But, you know, come fall and winter, things start to get trickier and I think the, the, the folks, the folks at Blackberry Farm are doing a really good job, um, in the promotion of, I think this term was kind of coined with them, Foothills Cuisine, this, you know, so for all of us who are living like, you know, not at the top of the mountain, but somewhere in the holler, there's, you know, there's something in there for you, if you're interested.
1: It's funny you grabbed that recipe box, that, that was, uh, Our aunt took the recipe pot. well, she didn't take it, but she got the recipe box when my grandparents passed away from my grandmother, and she photocopied it all and put it in a binder and gave it to all the grandkids, which I thought was one of the coolest uh, Christmas gifts that we got. You may have known our grandparents, I don't know, or at least knew their business on your way through Bell County, Roland Chevrolet.
0: Yeah, yes, I know exactly where that is.
1: Bog Mountain. I was
0: gonna say, right up Long Mountain,
1: <laughs> part of the thirteenth. so you were a yellow jacket, right? Yes, absolutely.
0: Season. Listen, y'all, not only was I yellow jacket, I was the voice of uh, Fulton Gymnasium. I was a public address oh. announcer for basketball games for four years.
1: That is impressive.
0: From let's see. so that would have been like nineteen eighty two to eighty five yeah, that was my that was my gig. so. I was all about a 13th Region basketball game.
1: Was that Richie Farmer years? Russ Farmer? So
0: Richie. Was that so Russ? Rich, no, that was Richie. Richie was in eighth grade, my senior year, but was already playing. Yeah, I remember the- you
1: couldn't you couldn't park a car on Log Mountain when they when the 13th Region came to Bell County. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> couldn't find a spot.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I wanted to ask you if you're if uh, I have I have five. I didn't tell Neil I was going to ask this question, but I have five Appalachian foods that I'm kind of curious, not curious about, but I guess have questions about, and I wanted to see if I could ask you and see if you had an answer to them.
0: Okay. And if I don't know, I'll tell you, I don't know.
1: All right. Uh, Well, it's not that kind of answer, but the first one is the traditional cornbread. So, you know, I live in Cleveland and up here, My kids think cornbread is the dessert you get after the meal because it's got so much sugar in it. Mm -hmm. So cornbread, sugar, no sugar.
0: So that's a tough one. There are people who say it shouldn't have sugar in it. The problem with that is in addition to being, like initially the thought was that's a north-south thing, but it's also a black-white question. Really? So Yeah, so there are... Black communities, black food waste traditions that always have a little sugar in the cornbread. So I think that I, I'm 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 agnostic on that question. I mean, it depends on what you want. And I think that oh, I that's not that. an argument that I've all that I've ever felt strongly about.
1: Yeah, I just always wondered. Like yeah. when I when I go to Boston Market, I save my cornbread to last because it tastes Oh yeah. Like-
0: Those commercial cornbreads, yeah, it really yeah. might as well be cake.
1: <laughs> just cake. Okay, my second second food growing up. If we if we didn't go to the hospital or Pizza Hut on Sundays after church, yes, or or got Kentucky Fried Chicken, then she always fixed.
0: I'm sorry, breakfast. I love that y'all were eating at the hospital, and I like, and I oh, know it was it. so I good. I, I was knew. getting <laughs> I was
1: getting ready to explain that. I was like, oh my gosh, our listeners are going to think our parents took us to the hospital on Sunday. Just like it's so good.
0: But I, I'm not. I'm in no way like. I'm The not Pineville Hospital fun of it.
1: food used to be so good back in. It, it was the best.
0: Funny. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so if we didn't do those three, my mom she always cooked breakfast for
0: um, for the meal
1: after church mm-hmm. on Sundays. And so one thing that was a staple was sausage gravy. She yes. always sticks sausage gravy. But the other gravy that's kind of Appalachian, which we never had a lot, was red eye gravy. Right. I guess the question is. Have you ever fixed red eye gravy and do you like red eye gravy?
0: I do like it. Um, the so you know, red-eye gravy is country ham based. So it's really, I mean, I'm just gonna say it, it's salty. <laughs> and so, I mean, it is like it, you know, if you're gonna go work outside all afternoon and sweat, it's you know, it's basically probably the equivalent of like pickle juice or any of those other like performance enhancers you buy now. I don't love it. I grew up on I grew up on sausage gravy, which my parents called sawmill gravy. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I've heard that. I and I love sausage gravy. What I hate are commercial versions of it because it's not it's not brown enough and it's too thick. The kind that, like, I mean, like my mother had like a special. She only made it in her electric skillet because she felt like she could control the heat better. But like I can like the smell the all of it yes so I'm I'm more I'm more sausage, sausage. gravy than red eye gravy yeah
1: yeah I guess the next it the, the third food is we have ears of corn corn on the cob and cut it off but fried corn I feel like that's <laughs> an Appalachian staple I know my my mom used to freeze fried corn we would have a freezer full of fried corn um, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> so do you. Do you eat fried corn? What's your preference? Corn on the cob, cut off the cob, or fried
0: corn? I like fried corn. Um, one of my mother's best friends um, from, my mother went to LMU over in Harrogate. Yeah. And um, one of her best friends from college does fried corn every summer, freezes it. And then that would be, she would give mother two containers of it every year right before Christmas. So like that corn was on, was a part of like Christmas dinner every single year. And I love it. I have never been able to get it right when I do it myself. I've like, and I've tried, I've tried various ways. I mean, I just like corn. So like, I'll, you know, I'll try it all kinds of ways. But that particular, like, cause there's like a creaminess to it. It's not creamed corn. It is fried corn. I don't know. I've never been able to replicate it.
1: Um, the next, the next food is poke salad. So Mm -hmm. dangerous or not not dangerous. Have you ever fixed (laughs) poke salad? I know I grew up eating it, but,
0: um, I have, um, I have never, I've never fixed it. And I don't know. I know that I have had it. I mean, sure. It's probably, you know, it's dangerous, but I mean, everybody eats, everybody who cares about sushi is after that, like fish that can kill you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of about poke salad. Like I am by mushrooms. Like I want to know what, you know, about mushrooms before I eat this mushroom that you found. <laughs> and I want to know like what Great. you know about poke salad before I eat your poke salad. So <laughs> gotcha, gotcha.
1: Number five is you, you mentioned how laborious your app one of your appetizers was.
0: Uh, yes, the, the custard. Yeah.
1: Which is another thing of this number five, apple stack cake, which is which is a traditional Appalachian dessert, but it also takes which which a lot of Appalachian dishes do, takes a lot long time to make. Is, is that uh-huh. something that you make that you like? Apple stack cake?
0: It is not something that I love them. Um, I do not make them, um, because the challenge with them is for them to, to work and to like have that taste, you need somebody who dried the apples first. So, you know, you, you gotta start, you gotta start in September, um, (laughs) in order to have this, this cake. Um, there's a woman who was a part of the SFA, who is a part of the SFA? Just a, a member. Who um, a few years ago we did a summer um, we did a summer symposium in Bristol, Virginia, and she makes stack cakes in the way that you know her mother and grandmother did, and then taught it and then taught a class on them as as part of the weekend. And you know they're they're extraordinary. And and the thing I hate the most is when somebody says they're about to give you a stack cake and then it turns out to just be a layer cake.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Which happens
0: a lot. Like you <laughs> as soon as you look you at it, it's like
1: because, <laughs> like you said, you can't just make a stack cake on the fly, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just, you know, I mean, the thing, the the actual like making the layers is easier because they're thinner, they cook faster, like all of that is true. It's just that that apple butter, apple stuff that goes between each layer is the labor intensive part. And, you know, and that takes time and a knowledge of preserving.
1: Can I ask a bonus, bonus? Sure. Neil, I'll let you get in here too, but the bonus one. So I grew up, my dad would feed us souse meat. Yes. Uh, and for the listeners that don't know, I don't know if you need to know what south South's meat is, but I loved it until I found out what it was and so it for the listeners that don't know you know the Appalachian tradition is whole hog use all the hog and souse meat is essentially hog hog head cheese um -hmm. so it was regardless it was the head of the hog that Mm -hmm. went into souse meat and so that kind of ruined it for me I don't think I've eaten it since I found out what it was but do you like souse meat
0: um I have eaten souse um we we in fact one time at uh an SFA event we served souse meat sandwiches on white bread with mustard for breakfast. Um, and people were like totally into them. And then there were other people who were into them because they knew what they were eating. And then there were people who were into them because they tasted good. And then they found out and they're kind of mad and whatever, <laughs> I, you know, I like souse. I will eat souse. I will eat sweet breads. I don't, seek them, I don't seek them out. Like I'll seek out a really well-fried chicken liver but I I won't go looking for saucer or, or sweetbreads.
1: Well, growing up, my dad used to. He doesn't anymore, but he he growing up, he used to, and he used to give it to us without, it. <laughs> and we loved it. We loved it. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know any better. I'm just <laughs> kind of bringing it back to Appalachia, or just kind of where you're from. One of the. Another question that we always ask all our guests is, you know, you mentioned you live in Oxford, but you grew up in Millsboro. Where do you call home and why do you call it home? What makes it unique to you?
0: So that's that's a tough question for me right now. My mother died uh, in December of 2017 and I'm an only child. My My father died when I was 12. So I, you know, it is I have my My aunt, my mother's, my mother's sister is kind of the last family I have in Middlesbrough. You know, I, I think even after all this time, I've been in Oxford for 20 years. We've been married 29 years, you know, so I don't know that it's Middlesbrough anymore, but it's definitely still Kentucky for me. And I, I think about that a lot because I could not wait to get out of Middlesbrough you know when i was at center when i was chase you know i i i was open to lexington or louisville as where i might land but you know i i didn't think it would be there and i think there's a way in which for both of us my my husband too i think i don't know that we'll ever get back there but i think we'll always want to that's evident in probably a million things about us, not the least of which is, you know, I live in Oxford, Mississippi. I think I last went to an Ole Miss football game 10 years ago. Um, (laughs) But
1: you're part of the big blue nation, right?
0: But Lord, am I part of the big blue nation. I mean, you know, I've raised, we've raised two sons who are UK fans. You know, I could go get all of the UK gear that's in this house. In fact, I don't know if you can see it. Do you see? Do you see that Jamal Mashburn is here? Oh, in nice. the, uh, yeah. Uh huh. Yes. So,
1: <laughs> old school.
0: <laughs> Very old school. Um, I was at the Big Blue Madness <laughs> when they gave those out. Um, so I think that in my what what I what I'm realizing is that in my sensibilities, in the ridiculous things I care about, like college sports. And just in my head, in my head, and my heart, I'm always going to think of myself as a Kentuckian first.
1: Thank, uh, Melissa. We want to thank you again. We we appreciate all and, and the, the vast amount of information that you provided. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, no,
1: I'm, no, I'm not
0: good at the soundbite. It
1: was perfect. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of this, and thank oh, you for doing this. <laughs> man will awesome I, 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 I'm just so impressed with uh, former Bell County and Melissa Booth Hall. what an excellent job she did on the episode tonight and you know again once again I just come on this episode to learn man I'm just Jeez. I'm just like sponge every time we talk to these people I'm just trying to take it all in. Definitely enlightened us on the Southern foodways, the Appalachian foodways. I mean, she's a, a wealth of knowledge, having worked at SFA for as long as she has. Yeah, so, uh, you know, she's been at, as you heard, she's been in Oxford for 20 years. But, you know, she still calls Millsboro or Kentucky home. And uh, I was encouraged to, to hear that and just kind of made me even more found of my decision to never leave. yeah well see you but you can appreciate people that are away right oh yeah people like melissa (laughs) 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 but what a what a wealth of knowledge uh when it comes to food and you and i can ramble about food but now now we know from an expert just what uh, food means in our region in Appalachia and in, in the South, uh, and how important it is. I thought it was great learning or hearing her take on the whole food to table concept. And uh, you know, you and I have debated that as well, so that was that was interesting. And in SF the Southern Foodways Alliance, her her organization, or you know, she's the managing director. You know, it's the history of food and, mm-hmm. and how it tells the story. And that's what SFA does. You know, they have all these stories, all these oral histories. It's a really, for those that, have, that don't know Southern Food Ways Alliance, check it out, go to their website. It's a really cool uh, organization that, that doing a lot of great things for not only Southern food, but Appalachian food as well. I'm definitely going to check out some of those films that she suggested. You know, she talked about, Uh, Helen Turner from Brownsville, Tennessee, you know, I mean, Brownsville's out there, man. It's, it's, it's pretty far, but I've been through it. I've been there. That's a place that I should have tapped into when I was there. So awesome stuff you can learn from the SFA and that can lead you uh, to, to other restaurants out there or other food spots along the way. Cause I know all of us go on vacation and all of us have to eat and I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with my family, you know, what, what are we going to eat tonight? Where are we going? What's what's on the menu where, you know, through the SFA, we can learn about a lot of a lot of places and a lot of people that you may not stumble across just by being on the open road. So, yeah, and you can. I think one thing that they also do really well, you can learn about the, the inclusiveness or the diversity of the region, the diversity of the food that we have in this region. I know where I'm going when I'm in Oxford. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) No question. (laughs) That guy's world famous, and I didn't even know I was there. (laughs) Yeah, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, One thing that I didn't mention to her that she briefly brought up catfish, and and I was going to ask her if if, uh, frying catfish was a southern tradition of leaving the stinking head on. Uh, I can remember being in West Tennessee uh, back in my college days at a a game that you know I played in. But anyway, so one of the traditions in Savannah, Tennessee, is is fried catfish, and they leave the whole fish there. They bring it out to you on the plate with the whole fish fried up right there and put it in front of you. And I remember thinking as a 20, 21-year-old, what have I done? What am I eating? Look, it didn't look the way mom picked <laughs> catfish. I, I got no problems with that though. If it's fried catfish, I don't oh, care it, what it looks like. Man. I'm eating. I had a problem until <laughs> I put it in my mouth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Over. It was delicious. Saus <laughs> meat, not so much. Yeah. yeah fried now, catfish. I don't know. South meat's one of those like. Man, I hate to say it, but I, I ain't eating that stuff anymore. I'm <laughs> not either. <laughs> I haven't eaten it since I found out what it was. <laughs> I, mean, I ain't doing it. I don't care if I go to an SFA convention and they're serving it with mustard and white bread and I, mayonnaise breakfast. I don't care. I ain't eating <laughs> it. That ain't happening. Well, anyway, what a great job Melissa did, and great
0: brought, person.
1: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful lady, and very interesting career she's had and um, I'm a little bit jealous Uh, she's she gets to talk about food and be around food and be involved in food and and gas up people and individuals that are that are uh, you know trying to make a name for themselves so what a cool deal she has and um, I love to uh, talk to her again sometime so hopefully our paths will cross again you know, I thought I thought she did a great job talking to us. And as we move into our our last segment of the show, I was going to ask you tonight. You're usually asking me, and then I'm flipping it back to you. So I'll just ask you from the get, from the rip tonight, uh, of our of place segment. Is uh, you got anything tonight that uh, kind of hits home with you, or, or brings you back to a place that you can share with us? Bring me, of place, kind of brings me back to the the place I call home. Yeah, as she was talking, you know, as I've asked you before, you you know, my my favorite all-time meal, it would be my last meal, (laughs) is soup beans and cornbread. I already knew the answer. I mean... I I love soup beans and cornbread and I put a little, you you know, you have to crumble the cornbread up, get it into the soup. So it's not too soggy, but a little bit, put some onions in there. It's the best thing ever. I mean, I, I I would eat it all the time if I could, but what kind of one of the stories about soup beans with me growing up, soup beans were my favorite growing up too. However, I didn't let people know that. I I always thought, kind of like we were talking about with Melissa, and and it kind of brought this to mind when we were talking, how we kind of, you know, always had farm to table, always had fresh food, always had, you know, Appalachian cooking from our mom, but we had this disconnect where we thought that that, I don't know if we thought if it was poor people's food or if we thought that it just was an everyday occurrence, so we took it for granted. You know, when people would ask me, especially when I moved out of Appalachia, you know, what what's your favorite thing to eat? I would always try to think of these eclectic things. Um, Yeah, something, you know, I remember in grade school when we they would let our great our class come up with the school menu. I think my group came up with like steak and shrimp. I mean. Yeah. People like steak and shrimp, but it's no soup beans in my book, (laughs) but I would never tell people that I like soup beans, especially when I moved away from Appalachia. I thought that saying that I like soup beans, first of all, people outside of Appalachia don't even know what soup beans are. Sure. Um, Don't know how to make them. Definitely don't know how to make them, but they don't (laughs) even know what they are. I mean, yes, they're pinto beans, but no one calls them soup beans. So when I would be, you know, outside of Appalachia, people would ask me, you know, what's your favorite food? I would never even think about saying soup beans because I don't know if it was embarrassment or if it was just the fact that I, ha- I didn't feel cool enough by saying soup beans. But, you know, now that I've been away, I'm proud to say soup beans. I'm proud of where I'm from. I'm proud of who I am. And soup beans are my favorite food food and I will tell anybody. And I just want people to understand that, you know, especially kids, y- younger kids, never be afraid to say where you're from. Be proud of where you're from. Be proud of who you are. If you like soup beans, if you like souse meat, be proud of that. Tell people what sauce meat is and, and be proud of it. I, I kind of regret growing up and not telling people that soup beans was my favorite meal. It was one of those things. And now as I'm older and I, 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 you know, I've moved away, we've talked about this a hundred times. It it just made me appreciate Appalachia a little bit more. Maybe it made me appreciate soup beans a little bit more, but I want to shout it out. Soup beans are my favorite meal and I'm proud of where I'm from and I'm proud of who I am and I'm proud of soup beans. I know, I know for a fact, there's one thing I can say and and I if I told you to close your eyes and just vividly take a picture of yourself where you're at when I mentioned soup beans, cornbread, and salmon patties. <laughs> I know exactly what seat you're in and where you are. And at mom's table. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we're not really a chow chow family either. I know a lot of people put chow chow in their soup beans in Appalachia, but we kind of never did that. But, yeah, salmon patties. Yeah, we've talked about that before, I, I think. But that's, you know, I, I, <laughs> even to this day, I'll go, mom will call and she's tried to find ways to make it go away. But you can't hide the smell of salmon patties <laughs> you, you <laughs> cannot hide it and uh that's usually the worst part about going to meal with uh soup beans and salmon patties but uh is this is the aroma that it leaves on your clothes for the next 12 hours yeah but anyway yeah anytime but but anytime i come home or mom would always ask what do you want you know as your birthday meal i would it would always be soup beans and cornbread yeah, sometimes in July when you ain't here, we eat soup beans just to celebrate. Instead of pouring one out, you you pour a little, you pour a little soup beans out for my – Soup beans, yeah. <laughs> I know he's listening. I know he's somewhere. <laughs> All right, man, that's my of place. I just wanted to say that because, you know, sometimes uh, we get caught up of, of trying to say things or be part of things that we think people want to hear when in reality be yourself be real be proud of who you are and where you're from i'm proud of soup beans and i'll, I'll, I'll tell anyone absolutely i love it well said all right well like i usually do at every episode i'll say till next time peace
0: i'm up in the mountains again i'm getting lighter the air's getting thin now i'm facing down with the grim I've been in the city too long, sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.